It's the Andy Thompson Show on ESPN 97.7. KDXU. All right, Lawrence, let's jump into the sport hole. Brought to you by our good friends at Ideal Home and Auto Paint. Ideal Home and Auto Paint have been your locally owned paint store here in Southern Utah since 1975 with your debt family. Uh, love Southern Utah. Love Dixieland. And for all of your home improvement needs this winter, Ideal has that. And don't forget the auto paint store on Tabernacle. Let's do it, Lawrence. What do we got, buddy? The Sport Hole. Sports, 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 sports. Two-minute drill presented by Ideal Home and Auto Paint. To the five, to the two, diving, touchdown. Let's do it. What do we got? and thin, under 10, 9, 8, Lindquist wants to make a move, step back on Schroeder, Schroeder defends it well, gives to Taylor, Taylor has all sorts of room, up and under for Taylor, it goes, Taylor with the lay-in, and an immediate timeout, Taylor was left all alone, he could have pulled up for the mid-range, he could have done any number of things, instead he attacks, hangs, and hits for Crimson, they retake the lead by one. Mmm, that gets you fired up for some Region 9 two-minute drill talk. Way to go, Larry. That was Burnsy from Friday. Um, Let's start with Hurricane, who had their introductory kind of pep rally, I believe, yesterday, last night, where they introduced Coach Cowan. I was talking with Coach Ashby today, who's staying on as the O.C., and Ellie, exciting times of Hurricane. I mean, that gym was full. They were pumped up. Coach Cowan comes in with state championship pedigree. And he's going to be in the school. That's one of the big things for Hurricane. I think uh, Marcus Matua, the AD over there, and one of the reasons why Coach Ashby pushed for Coach Cowan to come is Coach Ashby isn't a teacher at the school. Coach Cowan will be, and that'll help with weights and everything. Just having a presence at the school can be a big deal in high school and so i'm trying to get both of them on coach ashby and coach cowan um coach cowan uh yeah played with coach ashby at su back in the day so they have that connection there too so that's very good larry i'm excited for hurricane next item on our two minute drill is um we put out a graphic today jordan roberts is averaging 11.3 assists a game. A lot of people know this in the state, or at least in Region Nine. He is he's setting a he's on a record pace, literally in the state of Utah. Roberts is leading the country in assists right now per game, and probably and I think overall too, right, Larry? Yes. Eleven point three assists per game in a high school game, in a NBA game that is, let's see, thirty two minutes. 48 minutes. What is the ratio there, Lawrence? We tried to do this last week with something. Do you know the math on that? No. How do you not know the math on that? You're the robot algorithm. That's that's one of the main reasons we have you is to be able to do quick math. Anyway, it's probably like 17 assists a game or more. Probably more. What's the ratio? for an NBA average. Right now, he has 192 assists. The record in the state of Utah for a single season total assists is 266. Rylan F. Jones. Um, 
Roberts had 248 last year, so he came up short by, you know, 18 assists or something like that. He's on pace right now with the amount of games he has left to get to 269 by the end of the regular season. But he's got to keep to that breakneck average of 11 assists a game. So if he stays on that pace, he'll break it in the regular season, not to mention playoffs where Dixie is expected to go, you know, a long way. Odds are he breaks the all-time state record for assists. Fun to watch. He's so good. You know, we were talking to uh, Coach Roberts last week. They got a um, – we'll be at their game in the hangar on Friday this week. They got Crimson Cliff. That'll be a great rematch. They've already played twice. Dixie's got them both times. But uh, Sean Feltz is playing arguably the best basketball of anybody in the region right now for Crimson Cliffs. But back to Roberts. He's great in the half court. He's great in the transition. He's great outlet passing for easy buckets for Dixie unselfish, but can also score. You know, we saw him do that against Snow Canyon in that second half where he took over kind of as a shot maker. So, J-Rob having a great year. No news there. Nothing breaking there. All right, then lastly, Tyler West, who we talked about last week announcing that he had talked with Utah Tech, has an offer to play football at Utah Tech. That's a huge, that's huge. Just announced, I think yesterday, that he has a PWO, preferred walk-on offer from BYU. And this is the exact question I asked uh, Coach Lance Anderson at his introductory press conference, which was, how do you beat BYU for kids who are getting preferred walk-on offers? And Carson uh, Cox also has a PWO from the kid from Ridgeline. To go to BYU, um, how do you how do you how do you compete with that? Because a, a, a preferred walk on at, at BYU, one they're they're going to get everything paid for now with the NIL deals that they have, whether it's uh, Built Bar or whoever else. The walk ons are going to get paid for, so it's basically like they have some of uh, somewhat of a scholarship when it comes to tuition. Two BYU is now in the Big Twelve. And we've seen success of kids going as preferred walk-ons, getting on the field and having good careers at BYU. Peyton Wilgar, a local, doing it um, recently at linebacker. So how do you beat those guys? How do you? This is a perfect kind of showdown with a talent like Tyler West, who I think could go up and contribute for BYU versus. Utah Tech and maybe getting playing time earlier and more playing time and maybe being a start on here. So they, you know, Coach Anderson and that coaching staff have their work cut out for them when it comes to cases like Tyler West, and I'm sure there's others competing against PWOs from BYU. That's tough. I mean, if you got a chance to go play in the Big 12 and get on the field, special teams, whatever, early, that's tough. It's tough to turn that down. We'll see what happens. Very good, Lawrence. All right, sport holders, time for Who You Crappin'. 
All right, Who You Crab It is brought to you by our good friends at wiki-licious.com. Check out Wikilicious, wiki-licious.com. Pre-order for pickup on Thursday, Fridays, and Saturdays. Premium Hawaiian malasadas are taking southern Utah by storm, if I do say so myself, Lawrence. All right, who do we got today? By the way, shout out uh, Boars and Bernstein on this bit. Our guys. Oh, we've got Dan Orlovsky. And I hate to kill Orlovsky because everybody's saying this crap, but let's play Orlovsky's thing here about Jim Harbaugh. Jim Harbaugh. (laughs) I think it's undisputable. (sighs) The best quarterback developer that the NFL could go after right now. If you look at the – this goes Mm. back to college, Josh Johnson, and then it goes to Alex Smith, and then it goes to Colin Kaepernick, and then it goes to Andrew Luck, Hmm. and then obviously national championship with J.J. McCarthy. So – you know, Marcus, I think of the Stanford Andrew Luck days when he would put so much information in Andrew Luck's head and they would do all those shifts and motions and Andrew would control the line of scrimmage. Justin Herbert is in very much so the same type of makeup intellectually and physically. So the yeah. Chargers for sure. But if you're an organization and you either have a young quarterback the or want one, he's the best developer there. Yeah. I understand the argument that an NFL team should want Jim Harbaugh because he was good at the NFL for three years. He took over San Francisco with Alex Smith, won like 11 games and 12 games and 12 games, and then went 8-8, eight and eight, lost the locker room, everybody hated him, and he was driven out of San Francisco. I understand wanting a guy who's proven that he can go to a Super Bowl. Of course you want Jim Harbaugh. But the idea that Harbaugh, who just won a national title and had a college coaching career at Michigan for seven years, however long he was there, where he did not one time have an excellent quarterback. I mean, go through the crappy quarterbacks for Michigan in Harbaugh's tenure. Jake Ruddock. Wilton Spade. Do you remember some of these losers? John O'Corn. Shea Patterson, who was a heralded quarterback recruit. Cade McNamara, same thing. J.J. McCarthy, same thing. McCarthy, his best guy. But these are all 170 yards per game, 20 touchdowns on the year type of guys who were game managers. That's what makes Harbaugh so impressive that he won this year is because he didn't win with a C.J. Stroud, Justin Fields, uh, Trevor Lawrence, Bryce Young type of talent at quarterback. He re- he won with J.J. McCarthy, who had like nine completions in the championship game. He won with the trenches and running and defense in 1970 Schembechler football, not because he was the quarterback whisperer. Those guys are at Ohio State and, and Alabama and Clemson and Oklahoma and many other places. Not at Michigan for the last seven years. If you're talking about Harbaugh going and coaching a team, the Chargers, in 1984, then, yes, that's a guy. He's going to put his eye black on. He's going to three yards and a pile of dust, maybe a rollout pass. And he's really going to get into the, the mentality of Justin Herbert about how on third and two, don't be afraid to pull it down and run it. But this is a different NFL and a different uh, sport than what Harbaugh was doing at Michigan. So the idea that he's going to go to Justin Herbert and really explode his career and his... uh, He's already throwing for 40 touchdowns a year and 4,000 yards. He's one of the most talented guys in the league. 
Um, what Harbaugh did to Kaepernick, in my opinion, was he regressed every year. So he drove off Alex Smith. Alex Smith wasn't good enough for Harbaugh for the 49ers. Kaepernick came in and surprised the league because it was like the first dude to run the zone read stuff and run it successfully. So like the last seven games of the year, Kaepernick got a bunch of wins and took them all the way to a surprise Super Bowl where they lost. The next year, they were okay, but they he, Kaepernick was worse. The next year, 49ers were okay. Kaepernick was worse. And then the 8-8 eight eight year, Kaepernick was horrible. Under Jim Harbaugh. If you go to his college credentials as a quarterback whisperer, I don't know about his San Diego stuff, but once he gets to, to Stanford, he gets a lot of credit for getting luck there, and he deserves it. Even though maybe Shaw was involved. Heck, maybe Lance Anderson was involved. I know he was there. But getting luck, I think, to Stanford was more about Stanford because luck is a smart, brainy guy who wanted to be an architect, and he was looking at Northwestern, and he was looking at Virginia, and he was looking at all these premier college places, and Stanford's the best in the world. So I think if we broke down Luck's decision to go to Stanford, probably 75% was Stanford. And then give give Harbaugh 25% of the credit and give Harbaugh credit for developing Stanford from a four-win, six-win, eight-win, and then a 12-win team where they win the Orange Bowl his last year there. That's all Harbaugh. He gets all the credit for that. And Luck having a tremendous year and, you know, 30-whatever-five touchdowns, the eight interceptions, whatever he had. Harbaugh gets credit for that. But the the bulk of it is Harbaugh's system and his personality and coming in with the khakis and the winning in the trenches and who has it better than us BS. That's what what you're, you're buying with Harbaugh, not the quarterback whisper stuff. Because there's a million coaches in the NFL now who, who are better in 2023 NFL offenses than what Harbaugh's going to be. Like Andy Reid and Sean McVay and all of these Mike McDaniel, um, all of them, they're all more advanced and, and have to be better than what Harbaugh's going to bring to the table who's been coaching in the Big Ten for the last seven years. So I... Orlovsky, who you crapping on this point? Now, back to Harbaugh's NFL tenure. I think that I think that it's tough to go in with his style and take over an NFL locker room with a bunch of adults. He, you know, he was successful with San Francisco, but there's high risk with guys like that. When Chip Kelly went to Philadelphia, they were good. He won 10 games like three years in a row. But then the the players were just like, get this guy out of our face. We're not college players. Obviously, Urban had the same problem. Obviously, you go down the list, Saban had the same problem. Um, Who else? Harbaugh has that same kind of issue where it's high reward if he goes and takes over a locker room and gets the guys in the trenches to buy in and the running game to buy in. And maybe he could do that in San Diego. And I, I'm all for hiring Harbaugh because he's been pr- a proven winner wherever he's been. So I just don't get the, this guy is the best quarterback mind available for the NFL right now. What? 
Shea Patterson, John O'Corn. When have you watched a Michigan football game, which is where he's been, <laughs> and been excited about the quarterback play? Never. Not one time when he was there were you like, oh, man, this guy is, this uh, Jake Ruddock, he's special. The quarterback whisperer, John, uh, Jim Harbaugh, has really got him cooking against Rutgers. Give me a break. Anything else on that, Larry? Oh, the final point is I was thinking about Harbaugh with the 49ers, and I was thinking it's difficult to um, it's difficult to keep the same regime after you lose a Super Bowl. There's nothing more devastating. You make it to the plateau. You make it to the mountaintop and lose. Unless you have Manning, who lost with the Broncos and came back a couple years later and won with the Broncos. Unless you have Brady, who lost a couple times in the Super Bowl. Um, unless you have Mahomes, who lost to Tampa Bay and has and returned to the Super Bowl. Um, Sean McVay deserves a ton of credit because he got embarrassed in the Super Bowl with the Rams. He made some changes and came back and won a couple years later. But for the most part, when the Seahawks lose that Super Bowl, never never the same, never close. You know, competitive, Carroll's getting them to the playoffs, but never at the top of the league a threat to actually win the thing. Atlanta, when they lose the Super Bowl, you've never heard from Atlanta again. They've been a laughing stock. When Cam Newton goes to the Super Bowl with, with Carolina, cries at the end of the... Does he cry? Or what does he do at the end of the press conference, Larry? He's blaming people? I can't. Not a good look. Um... Carolina's been horrible. Cam was never the same. Philly this year, after winning or after losing last year, the whole thing just implodes. That's what happened to Harbaugh. He went to the Super Bowl, didn't get it done. Couple more years not going back to the Super Bowl. And then everybody's like, get the heck out of here. We hate you. So it's one thing to do like the Bills where you're not getting to the Super Bowl. So you still have that one big step to make. To get to the Super Bowl, so maybe they keep McDermott. Everybody still, you know, loves Josh Allen, even though he can never win the big one against Mahomes. But you don't have that big, just huge failure where you're actually in the Super Bowl and lose. You still have that little goal, that little step that to get there that's still possible. And that's what you get up in the morning for still, even though you're devastated if you're Josh Allen today and, you know, all week since he's lost. Does that make any sense, Larry? Yes. So watch out. If you go to the Super Bowl and lose, unless you got Mahomes, Brady, Manning, and a select other few, you're screwed as a franchise, I guess is my point. I heard Andy Reid is coming to BYU next year. I heard it from a friend's wife's boss, essential oil representative, who has a friend who works with Tom Homo's Grubhub delivery boy, who said he read it on (laughs) the the Cougar board. Harding inbounds to Haas with three seconds. Haas pulls up, fades away. Gets it! Winston! TJ Haas! Yes! on the call for that game. That was not Greg Rubel. Um, 
That was the last time BYU played Houston, and TJ Haas made that buzzer beer that, that bounced off the rim and then in to win the game for the Cougars. <laughs> uh, BYU hosts Houston, and they're two-and-a-half-point dogs at home. Houston's number five. BYU basketball, you've arrived. There's an article in the Deseret News by Jackson Payne, and he gives some great you know, points about BYU or some great stats. But the um, one of the points is that, or one of the questions he's asking, Larry, I wish we had the quote of this, but it's basically, are both of these teams capable of winning the national championship? And one of the teams he's talking about is BYU. <laughs> and it's unbelievable. And the point that he says is, beginning with Maryland back in 2002, each of the past 21 NCAA tournament champions have finished the season ranked in Ken Palm with both a top 40 offense and a top 22 defense. Only nine schools currently fit such criteria in the 23-24 season. Arizona, Auburn, Marquette, Michigan State, North Carolina, Purdue, Tennessee, Houston, and BYU. This is why you love the analytic nerds because they can dig some 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 correlative couple of stats that point to BYU being a national championship contender this year. <laughs> Which we love. BYU is one of the best offenses in the country shooting the ball. And to watch. Love watching them ping pong the ball around. Especially when Traore's out, they're just whipping it around. Fun to watch. Houston is the best defensive team in the country. And the Big 12, the Big 12 is challenging because, you know, when you think of the ACC, there's more finesse there. There's more 90-point games, probably more NBA guys like... Uh, you know, you think about Arizona and the, the elite in the West, Arizona, Gonzaga, used to be UCLA. They suck this year. And there's probably more top-end offensive superstars in those pools. When you get away from Kansas in the Big 12 and you get down to the Baylors and the Iowa States and the Houstons, it's like... It's like the SEC West in football, where it's just a bunch of dudes who these coaches go out. Um, what's his name? Scott Drew at Baylor, Kelvin Sampson at Houston, the guy at uh, at Iowa State whose name is escaping me right now. But they go out and just I know I know that the you know Keontae George, uh, Davian Mitchell from the national title team for Baylor. But overall, I guess my point is, the top-end offensive talent in the Big 12 is Kansas. And overall, it's European or it is ACC or it's, you know, I guess some Big 10. But the Baylors, the Houstons, and I know that they had an NBA guy last, let's see, top 10 pick last year, but... Am I crapping on my point continually here, Larry? Yes. My point is, these guys play defense, and Houston plays defense. 
And I was listening to uh, the Houston guy on Locked on Cougs, and here was his point about Houston. But I really do look at this team a lot and see, like, schematically, they trap at a couple different spots on the floor, and they'll do it differently depending on what the team's strengths are. And then they do a, such a great job at rotating and helping the helper afterwards. So they held uh, Central Florida to 15.9% shooting on the game. Just 18 of Central Florida's 42 points came from field goals. <laughs> I mean, it was just Houston will foul you because they are playing that kind of intense level of defense, and I'm sure BYU will make their free throws. But they play a very high level of very fast-paced defense. Remember when Gonzaga was undefeated and they went and played Baylor in the national title and they just got destroyed. Baylor just bodied them up and just murdered them. That's Big 12. That's why the Big 12 is the best conference in the country is because every team can play defense like that. Texas Tech. That's a problem. However... BYU has shown, go ahead, Iowa State, come into the Marriott Center, come face down the rock, the ROC, and we're going to shoot the lights out. We got Spencer Johnson, we got Dallin Hall, the ball, we don't have one guy, we've got a bunch of guys. Here's Jimmer Fredette on BYU this year. Like I've kind of been saying this a little bit throughout the season is like that last five minutes that we need a guy to be able to go in and, and, and create a bucket. Right. And we don't necessarily have one of those guys that can just go out and get a bucket. It's more of a collective effort with BYU. That's true. But why, I think I think Dallin Hall can get to a spot and kick it out against most of these perimeter defenses in the Big 12. So we'll see if they can do it. This is a big uh, big thing for BYU. You don't want this to be the height of their season where they peak and then they lose, you know, by double digits tonight and then they finish, you know, they still get a ton of games left. But can they go 500 in the Big 12? Right now that seems feasible, which is amazing. Uh, and Mark Pope deserves a standing ovation and he deserves an extension and he deserves everything. Because this was not this year was not supposed to be going the way it's going. You can listen to that game on 890 KDXU, our sister station. Anything else on that game, Larry? No. All right. Nice topic. What do you got? Life is happening for you, not to you. And if you keep going, it will open. It's time for a life coach. In the sport hole. Make your toddler cry when you get pulled over by a cop. Just give him a little pinch on the leg. Because I got pulled over months ago. And my toddler was just screaming in the back. See, I didn't pinch him, but I would have. (laughs) He cries a hundred times a day. I may as well use one of those for my for our advantage as a family. He's crying like crazy. The cop the cop shows up. I think I deserved a ticket. Cop rolls down the window, and there's just uh, chaos, just screaming and just misery. And he looks at us poor saps, me and my wife, and says, "Here, uh, forget it. Go, go ahead. Drive as fast as you want. Get to where you're going. <laughs> get that kid, get that kid in a pack and play somewhere." So he let us go. So my wife texts me today and says, I just got pulled over. 
And I said, did you get a ticket? She said, I don't know. And I said, make, make the kid cry. And she LOLs. And I said, no, 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 I'm not joking. Just pinch him on the leg. Get him to cry. There's no way that cop gets you a ticket. She doesn't do it, of course. And she doesn't get a ticket, of course, because girls don't get tickets. And my wife is cute as a button. So she never gets a ticket. She gets warned all over town. She's getting warnings. I get a ticket every time unless a toddler is screaming in the back. So that's a little life hack. If you got a toddler, look, these toddler, I got a two-year-old. He is crying constantly. It's a nonstop tantrum all day. So it's not child abuse to give him a little pinch on the leg, get him ticked off when the fuzz has you going 75 and a, and a 55, right? Lawrence? Yes. I think we can re- relate this back to education and how we are <laughs> continuing to try to strive to... Thank you, Utah. Thank you, sweetheart. Genius Orange Jabroni in the Sport Hole. Who do we got today, Larry? Who are we judging? The two-point conversion attempt that left them eight down. Don't start me with the two-point conversions. And the analytics say go for it. Do the analytics say go for it no matter who's going for it? So if you and I were on the field, the analytics say go for it. It's the stupidest, laziest, lamest thing I've ever heard for reasoning in competition. And I hate when announcers just buy it without questioning it. The analytics say go for it. Michael Wilbon, Larry. Yes. Um, before I judge Genius or Jabroni, let me say that um, while he's... While he's wrong that, of course, the, the the analytics takes innumerable samples of NFL games to determine whether you go for it or not, meaning NFL players are on the field and NFL quarterbacks are on the field, and some of them suck and some of them are good, but on average, you go for it. Here's where I will agree with Wilbon is I used to play Madden against my older brother, you know, a million times. And every once in a while, I would score with a chance to win the game. And I would always go for two. And I would never get it. And the reason was because I I was a loser. And he was better than me at Madden. And he had a big brother complex over me. And so this happens in college football. It happens in pro football. If you are the team that is the loser team, you should never go for two because you're never going to get it. You're, ne- you're never going to get it. It just doesn't work out. for. I don't know what it is about the analytics or why. It seems like 50% of the time you should, 50% of the time you shouldn't. No. If you're the loser team and every football game has that, you should never go for two because you're never going to get it because you're a loser. So Wilbon is right in that regard, but you have to be honest with yourself. Am I a loser when I'm playing Madden? Is the team that I'm rooting for a loser? If so, kick the PAT. But overall, I like the trend. I like the trend when you're down 14 because it's a jugular move. You're playing the numbers. You like your odds of going for two twice to tie it. 
or you're you're bound to get one of them at least. But if you get the first one, then you can win the game, and you play to win the game, Larry. You play to win the game, so I like that. You kick a PAT to win by one instead of uh, th- this idea that overtime and getting the 14 and going to overtime is this magical safe space where you're more likely to win the game. No, it's, you're not. You're more likely, the odds say you're more likely to win it if you go for two twice. Just have a play. Who had a play this weekend, Lawrence? Who I loved. I can't remember. Was it the Lions? Ah. Somebody had a play. I forget. And I just, I texted on my thread, I love a coach who has a guarantee two-point conversion play. That's all. I love it. And not many do. They just run some garden variety generic play and pray that they get it. No, run some guarantee weird tight end sneaking underneath, fake something this way, throw to a wide open tight end. There's certain plays where the tight end seems to be wide open. Run one of those plays. So, Will Bond is a jabroni. Thank you. By the way, I used to watch PTI every day. I used to come home from school every day and watch PTI. And if I didn't have it, I would watch it recorded. And it's still good. I still love Tony. Will Bond's always annoyed me, but it's still a good show. It's a a great kind of two guys that like each other, that aren't just screaming at each other the whole time, you know? That's what this other crap, uh, every other show is. (laughs) So I like PTI, and I will commit to watch it more because they're still doing a great job. Next topic, Lawrence. Op-ed or op-meh. Good night and good luck. Mm-hmm. Judas. Op-ed or op-meh. This is very similar to Genius or Jabroni, Larry. This is the exact same thing. And next time, let's try to separate these out. It's like Taco Bell the same crap. We just call it different things. So op-ed, op-mad, this is John Kinsey from OutKick. And his his opinion is that travel baseball will eventually destroy high school baseball. And kids will stop playing high school baseball. Here's what he says. If you listen to the rumblings from social media and parents, the writing is on the wall for high school baseball programs across the country. You're about to become the house baseball of the youth baseball industry. The billion-dollar behemoth that is travel ball, sports tourism has estimated to be... Oh, excuse me. Sports tourism was estimated to be a $91.8 billion industry in 2022. Travel baseball. Shows no sign of slowing down, and now that it has killed rec leagues across America, the next frontier appears to be high school sports. Well, that is true. That rec leagues are getting hammered by travel. Um, I, I don't think that's the case in St. George because the level of baseball in this mecca 
of high school baseball where you've got these pristine fields and the weather and all this stuff. St. George is safe. But I think there are places in the Midwest where this is true, where where a travel coach will say to a pitcher, for example, hey, save your save your arm, man. Save your arm for when the scouts are caring more about it, when there's higher competition in the summer. Don't get worn out on this high school crap. Um, I can see that happening, and I think it does happen. And I think that the Kinsey points to in his article places in the South who are um, investing in these multiplexes, baseball, travel, hundreds of millions of dollars funding. And he's saying, you know, the argument that some high school parents have in some of these areas is the coaches suck. The competition sucks. We're putting all of our marbles into travel baseball. So this makes me sad, but they're treating high school baseball like it's the DMV and looking down at it. And my argument is regardless of whether you're in a baseball mecca like St. George or Florida or, you know, some of these other places, or you're in Minnesota, is 0.5% of kids who play baseball get drafted. And that doesn't even mean that's... And then how many of the kids that get drafted actually make the show? Uh, you know, another really low percentage. According to the national the NCAA, approximately 77.8% of high school baseball players go on to play college baseball at any level. That's D1, D2, D3, JCs, or NAIA. So if you love baseball and you're a high school kid, you can go play college. You can go to the Midwest where there's a million D3 schools. You can play NAIA. You can play JC, depending on where you're going. There's opportunities to play. What bugs me is that the devaluation of the four years of high school. I, I talk about it with um, when it comes to high school football, too, or even high school basketball. Even though high school basketball is in pretty good shape, so is football. Um, the, the, the bulk... 95% of the kids, their peak is high school. That's the best four years of athletics they're going to have. So the idea that we're, we're going to ruin high school sports for the 0.05% of kids that are going to play Division One or get drafted is absurd. And it's up to the parents to say to their kid, look, we want, we want to get the most out of your potential. But I didn't play D1, and your mom didn't, and you are okay, and you love the sport. But do you really want to devote your life from the time you're nine years old to traveling around, year-round, playing a sport just so you can go play Division Two baseball somewhere? And by the way, you can probably do that anyway. But enjoy your life. Why are we traveling... You know, to Mesquite and then to wherever and all year for 10 years of your adolescence. Let the let the kids play another sport, for heaven's sakes. And if they love baseball, they're fine. They're, and they want to play collegiately. There's plenty of opportunities. The odds of this kid making money playing baseball are very low. 
So let's not devote our lives to making that happen because it's odds are it's not going to. I, I feel like I'm crushing dreams here, Larry. I don't want to do that. I want to enhance the high school dream where high school baseball is great and high school basketball and high school football are great. And you're going to look back on those days and want to do them again, Larry, like, you know, we all do. Yes. So don't don't dismiss the high school athletics because some guy in a windbreaker is saying, hey, you could come and play 90 games this June and July and I'll have scouts and I got one of these uh, uh, <laughs> what are they called? Anyway, that's enough of that. Thank you, Lawrence. Next topic. What do we got? Oh, we got Katie. We got to wrap up the show because we've got uh, Golden Knights pregame starting at 5 o'clock. You're home of the Golden Knights on ESPN 97.7. If you're listening on Fox Sports Utah, we got the Utah Jazz coming your way at 6. And uh, don't forget BYU playing tonight as well. Game night in Southern Utah on our family of sports networks. All right, Lawrence, let's go to Katie. Katie, how the heck are you, by the way? Are you enjoying the job so far? Because we're thrilled. We are honestly thrilled with the work you do for us every day. How are you liking it so far? I love the job, and I take it very seriously, as you know. Good. The sport hole segment today was great. Ing on the ears. From the Sport Hole <laughs> National <laughs> News Center on Bluff Street, I'm Katie Rosen-Rosen. Joel Embiid said it was great to be put in the same conversation as Will Chamberlain after he became the ninth player in NBA history to score 70 points in a game. Now on to the next Chamberlain record, Joel. Do you have Tinder? (laughs) That was locker room talk. WWE's (laughs) flagship weekly program, Raw, will stream live Monday nights on Netflix beginning in January 2025. The deal is worth $5 billion over 10 years. No thanks. No macho man Randy Savage. The Tennessee Titans are working to finalize a deal with Cincinnati Bengals offensive coordinator Brian Callahan as their new head coach. League sources told ESPN's Adam Schefter on Monday night. However, as part of the deal, Joe Burrow will not be coming to the Titans with him. They'll still have that mouth breather from A&M. Today's Sport Hole National News is brought to you by Lawrence's mom. From the Sport Hole News Center on Bluff Street, I'm Katie Rosen Rosen, ESPN 97.7. Thank you, Katie. Lawrence gives you a hard time with the drops. I love everything you're doing. Quick break. Back with more right after this. Thanks for being with us.